Good morning. Welcome to each one of you. If you're here for the first time, welcome. So glad to have you join us today for our time of fellowship, worship, in Christ. And you know, um, I was thinking this morning as we come to certain texts together today that we are the body of Christ. Not by our doing, but bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And He loves us. And He cares for us as His own body. It says that in Ephesians 5. He nourishes and cherishes us. Christ does this with the church. So today we're going to talk a little bit about how God does that. How how Christ does that in giving elders and deacons to His body is part of the way he nourishes and cherishes and loves and cares for his body for whom he died. So I'm so grateful that we can share this time together this morning. Would you stand with me and uh, want to read together, and please join me in reading in unison 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. Let's read this and then we'll ask God to bless our time together. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a great day to be together as Your body. You have done great things for us, and we are glad by them. You have given to us Jesus. He has been crucified, buried, risen. He is interceding for us, reigning over us, and providing to us as His church all that we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Him. Father, You are gifting us, each of us individually, with spirit-given gifts so that 
there may be a mutual upbuilding in this local body. You are giving to us officers, elders, and deacons for the service of the body, for the equipping of the body. Father, we are thankful for this. All this has come about through Your doing. It is not our doing. It is not our appointment. It is not our giving. It's Your giving, Father, through Christ in heavenly places. We pray that You would fill our hearts with a sense of gratitude and an eagerness to trust and obey Your Word in these things. Glorify Yourself among us, we pray, today in the Word. Glorify Christ to us as the One who is the head of the church the Savior of the body, the one who is washing us in the Word and preparing us to stand blameless before your throne with joy. Father, move us ahead today for that day. And for your glory we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Mediator, our Head, our Shepherd, our King. Amen. Please be seated. It's a delight to be the body of Christ. What a great privilege to be called the household of God, as 1, Peter, or 1 Timothy chapter 3 tells us. The household of God. The church of the living God. And Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep, is He not? And He's good. How do we know He's good? He laid His life down for us. And God promised that in Him, He would give us all things that we need for life and godliness that he would grow his church according to his will. Look what God has promised to do. What did Christ say? Matthew 16, 18. He said, And I tell you, you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church. I will build my church, Jesus said. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Think about the profundity of those words. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the one who fills his church. He will build His church. There is not anything. The greatest, the greatest, most threatening spiritual power in the universe cannot conquer Christ's work to build His church. That's quite a statement, isn't it? The gates of hell. You throw at the church all of the work, the evil working that Satan and his demonic army can muster and they will not win. Christ, Christ will win, and his church will be with him. Look at this text. Colossians 1, 15 through 18, and Colossians 2, 18 and 19. He is the image, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the number one of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for Christ. And Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... He might be preeminent. That Christ might be preeminent in the church. In everything. And therefore, Paul applies that to the body of Christ in chapter 2, 18 and 19. He says, let no one disqualify you. 
insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So Paul is saying, be careful about false teaching. Any substitute for Christ as your head and as your Savior. Instead, we should be holding fast to the head. Take verse 19 in a positive sense. We can either hold fast to Christ as our head or we can hold fast to other things. Not holding fast to the head. From whom? Christ is the head of the church from whom the whole body is what? Nourished and knit together through joints and ligaments and grows with the growth that is from God. Isn't that amazing to think about? What a picture. Christ is the head of the body of Christ. And through His work as intercessor, as mediator, as our king, as our priest, He nourishes us. He nourishes us. He knits us together. Isn't that a great phrase? This, it, he puts us together as, as parts of a body. He puts joints onto the body. He puts limbs on the body. He puts ligaments and muscles and, and, and tendons and all the parts that need to come together in a body. And He's the head and He nourishes the whole body. So that what? It, it grows. It grows healthy with a growth that is from God for His glory. This is what God has promised to do through Christ for His church. Look at this text. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jeremy wonderfully preached this text for us last week during Reformation weekend, and we were just reminded of how God takes the weakest of people and He puts them into the church and He gives them the Gospel message. And they come together and they build one another up and they accomplish His purposes. And He does so not because of our weakness, but, be, but through His power, His strength, the Spirit of God. He can do through the weakest of vessels, the most amazing things so that He is glorified. That's the life of the church. That's the life of the church. And this isn't just momentary. This is throughout all generations. And then forever and ever. God will be glorified. Christ will be glorified in the church. He has promised to do this. And you know what? In the New Testament... There were very large churches in the New Testament, right? Jerusalem church was massive. Many elders would come together and discuss doctrine. Acts chapter 16, 15. There's, there's sections where in Acts, there's doctrines that are being discussed by the elders and the apostles, and they're, and they're trying to figure out how does this work in the gospel, in the life of the body of Christ. Sometimes churches are big. Sometimes churches are quite small, like you see in the book of Philemon, where Paul commends Philemon, probably a pastor, probably an elder, and the church is where? It's in his house. So, I don't know, maybe it was a wealthy man who had a large house, but church is sometimes large, sometimes small, even in the New Testament. The location of a local church is really irrelevant, isn't it? You could have the church meet like an axe at 
the Solomon's porticos by the temple. You can have churches meet in a house like Philemon. The size of the local church is irrelevant. The cultural variations of the local church are peripheral things, right? How many of you have ever been to a local church in another country? Can I see a show of your hands? Okay, a few of you. You go around the world, aren't churches very different depending on what country you are in? My wife and I had the opportunity to visit churches in Africa. Very different than here. Very different. The singing, all of it. All of it's so different. Those are peripheral things. What's the same about the local church? We have the same head. We preach the same gospel. We have gifted members. We have officers that are given to the church for its growth and well-being. What matters most is that Christ is lovingly at work in the local church through His Spirit, sanctifying His church, cleansing His church, washing her by His Word. And the people of that local church are devotedly committed to submitting themselves completely to the details of the will of Christ for His church as revealed in the Word that the Holy Spirit flawlessly authored. That's what we're after, right? Christ is going to grow us. I'm not speaking numerically. That, that probably will be too. But I mean in conformity to His truth. In conformity to His holiness. To His design. Christ is lovingly at work in the church. I want to read this little paragraph again. What matters most is that Christ is lovingly at work in the local church through His Spirit sanctifying us, cleansing us from sin, washing us in His Word, and that the people of that local church are devotedly committed to submitting themselves completely to all the details of the will of Christ for His church as they are revealed in the Word that His Holy Spirit has flawlessly authored. Isn't that what we were about? And what a journey it is to be on that path. Where, where, will we, where will the Spirit take us next in the growth of our conformity to Christ's image and design? Jesus Christ, in great love for His church and at great cost to Himself, is devoted in giving gifts to His church. Is He not? Gifts. I love to see this in the Scriptures. You can turn with me, if you'd like, to Ephesians chapter 4. That's what I have here up on the screen for us as well. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks of this generous, gift-giving Christ, our head. Of course He would. He would give us gifts. He loves us. He loves us because He's purchased us. And He wants us to have everything we need to be conformed into His image to fulfill the purposes for which He has made us His church. Let me read verses 1-16 through 16 for you. Follow along carefully, carefully as I read. Paul writes, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body 
and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That statement, verses 5 and 6, is really a a confession of sorts. And you, can you see the Trinitarian quality of that confession? You see one Lord. Who's that? The Lord Jesus Christ. You see one faith. What's that talking about? That's talking about doctrine. We have one gospel. One faith. One baptism. Who is that referring to? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's bringing individuals into unity with Christ mystically through His Spirit, and into unity with the body of Christ. And then one what? God and Father of all. You have Son, Spirit, and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But look at what Christ has done for His local church and for the universal church. But grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us. Grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every member in the body of Christ has been given grace. Christ has given gifts. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives and gave gifts. He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the ascension of Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 2 when Peter was preaching to the multitudes and he said, the Spirit has been poured out upon the church now. What is this a sign of? The ascension of Christ. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is both, he's been made both Lord and Christ. And you are seeing the evidence of such a thing. These people aren't drunk. (laughs) This is the Spirit poured out upon them, just like Jesus said. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the ascension of Christ when He sent the Spirit, and through that sending of the Spirit, gifted His people. But not only did He give gifts to each individual believer, He also gave offices to the church for the same ends, for the, the building up of the body of Christ. He gave the apostles. So the ascended Christ gives gifts to men. And he also gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, which is actually one compound title for elders, which we'll look at in just a moment. Why did he give these? There's a purpose for which he gave these. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ would be built up. How long? How long will he give these gifts to the, or give the gifted people and gifts to the church until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God? The body is to be built up, it's to be equipped through gifts and officers that are given to the body of Christ through His sent Spirit until we come to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So, these men given to the church are given for the maturing of the church, particularly doctrinally, right? Doesn't it say that? So that they won't be children in their thinking, tossed to and fro by every teaching that comes along, every pretend gospel, so that they can be equipped for ministry. What kind of ministry do did apostles and prophets, do evangelists and shepherds and teachers equip the saints for? What kind of ministry? To speak the truth in love to one another. Speaking truth in love. That's what these men are given to the church to equip all the gifted members to do. We're to speak the truth in love so that we grow up in every way into Christ who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, this sounds a lot like Colossians too, remember? We just talked about this. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Christ equips his church with joints and holds it together right into Christ. He's our head so that when each part is working properly, each part of the body, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ, from his seated place as King of kings and Lord of lords, has done all of this through his Spirit. Is this a beautiful thing? It's an amazing thing. It's a spiritual organism that God has put together and sent into the world in order to proclaim his gospel so that one day there will be myriads and myriads of people from every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation standing before the throne, praising God forever, saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's what this is all about. And so there's things that Christ generously gives to the church, gifts to people, men to equip, so that we speak the truth in love and we grow for the glory of Christ. Just think of it. The eternal Son of God humbled Himself, taking on real human nature, lived as a servant, lived under the law, lived under the curse except for sin, obeyed unto death, obeyed even unto death on a cross, took our guilt, took our punishment, paid it all in full, laid in the tomb, rose from the tomb bodily, ascended to the right hand of the Father, seated there as Lord of Lords, sent the Holy Spirit to indwell all who are cleansed by His atonement, and He works in us to mature us to holiness and prepare us to stand before His Father blamelessly with joy. That is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Glory be to Christ. And to advance this process of preparation, He has given these gifts. Look at this text. As each has received a gift, use it. Each, just like, just like we saw in Ephesians 4, each has received a gift. So now use it to serve one another. It was a good steward. You've been given something that really doesn't even belong to you. 
The Spirit of God has given you a gift. He lives in you. Christ lives in you. And so be a good steward of that gift. And we'll talk about that in days ahead. How to steward our gifts. As God's varied grace. If you have a speaking gift, speak as the one who speaks the very oracles of God. The Word of God is what you are given to speak. If you have serving gifts, and maybe you have both, serve by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified. God's Word, God's strength given through these gifts. You speak, you speak God's words, not your own. You serve, you serve by God's strength, not your own. Glorifying God through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. So he's given gifts, and he's given these men to fill the offices of the church, to aid individuals of the church by equipping them for the mutual ministry to one another that advances the spiritual maturity of the local church. Here's what I want you to see in all of this. Not just, I want you to see mostly the glory of Christ. He's doing all this. He is doing all of this. That's the point of this. He is ascended, seated as Lord of Lords, and doing this in His church through the Spirit. No one here chooses these men. We don't choose elders. You realize that? We don't choose them. We don't choose deacons. We don't put their names on you know, the um, wheel of fortune you know, and spin it and say, well, let's see how well he does. That's not how this goes. Jesus Christ, through his Spirit, from his seat, chooses and qualifies these men through a sovereign and spiritual work. We are simply as a church called to recognize. That's the word we need to use. We're called to recognize these men through observation, through training, through testing. That's all the recognition process. And we'll look at the words in the text that lead us into those exercises. No one chooses these men. No one qualifies these men. Jesus Christ chooses and qualifies these men through a sovereign and spiritual work. We simply recognize these men through observation, training, and testing. So how do we do this? I'd like to talk about this morning three steps that our church has and will take together for recognizing Christ-chosen men for elder and deacon from God's Word. You ever wondered, what does that process look like? How do we recognize these men? I want to give you three words. And you can see that in your outline that I gave to in your bulletin. The first word is aspiration. The second word is qualification. The third word is affirmation. Let's look at these, and then we will seek to be obedient to the Word of God as a body and actually live these out together. How do we know who's an elder and a deacon? Who is, who is Christ given to us? Aspiration. First, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. There's a, a, a few different texts I want us to be able to look at and turn to together this morning. Aspiration. What does that mean? It means to aspire to something. To have a desire for it. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to 
Ident- let's talk about identifying this aspiration in a man, or maybe this will help a man to identify it in himself. So letter A, if you're, you're making additional notes, identifying this aspiration. And I want to think about it first in terms of an elder, and then we'll look at it in terms of deacon. An elder, look at 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It's interesting, that's where Paul starts. Who wants to do this? You know, it's interesting because it's, it's not about the position at all. It's about a what? It's a task. That's what we have to understand. When you're aspiring to the office of overseer, you're not aspiring to something that just puts you in a position and gives you recognition. That's not it at all. This is a task. You had better understand something about the task so you know if you can aspire to it. And so that's the point there. Is this something you want? Well, how do we know what the aspiration is about? Well, one of the things we have to recognize is, let's see here. Let's do this way. I think a good way to understand what a person is aspiring to is to recognize simply what the title means. And by the way, I guess I'm going to be a little bit all over the place. There are a lot of titles. There, there are a few different titles that are given to the, the church office called, that we call elder. And there are many texts that describe it. So the most commonly used title in the Bible for that particular office is elder. Next is the title overseer. Then probably leader actually comes next, and then last is actually shepherd. The word pastor doesn't appear in the ESV. If you're going to put the word pastor with one of these titles, it would actually be shepherd. That's the word that's typically, that's sometimes translated as pastor. I think maybe in the King James Version or New King James, it says pastors and teachers rather than shepherds and teachers. It's the exact same Greek word. And so what we need to understand, and you can see all the texts that describe this, is what what is implied? What task is implied by each one of these titles? And so that's where we need to look at the meaning. If you were to take a a lexicon of the Greek New Testament and look up these words and and get a description based on their usage, you would see something like this. Well, one of the titles given for this particular office is called elder. The Greek word is presbyteros. And it it speaks of age. Elder, of age, advanced in life, having experience and wisdom. This is something that was functioning in the life of the Jews but it's also something that an office that functions in the life of the church. You see this in the New Testament of the Jews in the the Old Testament. Remember when Moses was by himself trying to lead the nation of Israel and his father-in-law, Jephthah, came to him and said what? You You need some help. And so it was God's will for them to appoint elders to help him to, to care for the people of Israel. So that's one word. There's even elders you read about in the Revelation, elders somehow of the heavenly assembly. 
So this is something that's pretty constant throughout the, the life of the church and, and the, the life of God's people. There is some, some form of elder. Another word that, over, that, that describes the same office, and these are interchangeable, and I'll show you a text that actually interchanges them exactly. So it's important that we don't think of these as four different offices. They're not. They're all the same. There is no biblical difference between an elder and a pastor. They're all an identical office, one particular office. There's only two offices that God has given to the church, elder and deacon. That's it. That's all we need. We don't need more than what he's told us. So the second word that describes the same office is called overseer, and that's the word episkopos. And it it speaks of a man who is charged with the duty of seeing that things are done by others in a right way. It's someone who's watching over. You know, you think of the word scope, right? You can see that kind of in the Greek word, scope. What is that? It's, to, it's, it's a sight of something, a telescope, a microscope. You look over something or into something. Epis, the prefix, means over, to look over something. And so you're a guardian for the church or Whatever, whatever group of people that God has placed you to be that guardian over, certainly of the Christian church. So you can see a little bit of the difference of task based on the, the meaning of the title. Someone who has experience and wisdom for something. Someone who's called to oversee something. And then the third is shepherd. Shepherd, poimain is the Greek word, and it talks about well, it's the word that's used all through the Bible for someone who's a herdsman, someone who, who shepherds sheep or, so, or whatever um, herd animal is being referred to. But it's also the word in an allegorical way that's used for the manager of an assembly, especially dealing with protection from harm, healing from wounds, seeking when lost, rescuing when threatened, loving, caring, feeding, sharing their lives, earning trust. All those things are essential to the role of shepherding. You can't shepherd people that don't trust you. You have to care for them. You have to share your life with them. You have to be an open book to them so that they, they're not surprised by things. You, you rescue them when they're threatened with something. You seek them when they're lost. You, you seek to heal when there's a brokenness, and so on, just like a shepherd. And then the last word is the word leader. And this comes, this, this comes in the text of Hebrews, particularly Hebrews 13, 7, and 17. And it speaks of one, and actually the word there is a participial form. It's a verb turned into a noun. Hegeomai. One who leads, one who goes before, one who has authority. And by the way, no elder has inherent authority. The only authority that an elder has is when they are speaking the word of God, the word of Christ, to the people of Christ. Does that make sense? There's not an elder that has any inherent authority. Like, you know, one elder can't just tell the people to do whatever comes into their mind that they want people to do. It's the only authority an elder has is when he's speaking the scriptures to the people and say, this is what Christ has commanded you to do. And that's where Paul says to Titus, let, in that sense, let no one disregard you. Titus chapter 2. Let me read that, because that really sets things in context. 
So Titus chapter 2, verse 15, Paul says to Titus, who has been given as an overseer of the church in Crete, declare these things. What things? The things of God's Word. Right? The things given through divine inspiration. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So there is a measure of authority that's given to an overseer, but it's not inherent. It's only as they declare what? These things. Does that make sense? That's a very important thing for us to understand, particularly as we affirm more elders that God, that Christ has chosen. So, but it is someone who has a measure of influence, a teacher, an overseer of the church. So, let me show you also where, and this is going to be a little more of a, I suppose, a discussion today. Look at Titus chapter 1. I also want you to know, I want you to be convinced of these things and not necessarily take my word for it. I want you to see them in the text. And the main texts I will show you in the next point as well, where we see these roles described, these titles described in their qualification. I also want you to, I want you to really understand that these titles are interchangeable. And you can see this especially well in Titus 1 and verse 5. Look at verse 5. So this is Paul talking to Titus, church in Crete. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So that was, that was what Paul had given Titus to do. Now notice... He begins to describe those elders that the kind of man that, that Paul has commanded Titus to appoint in every town. Verse six: If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are not are, I'm sorry, his children are believers or faithful, and not open to the charge of debauchery or, or insubordination. Notice in verse seven: For or because. An overseer, why did he switch words? I don't know, but it's the same title for this. It's two different titles for the same man. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. What was just described in verse 6 is what it means to be above reproach. And so he's using both elder and overseer to refer to the same man, the same office. So those are used interchangeably. Now, I also want you to have some idea, and then we'll, we'll kind of bring this to a, a point in just a moment. I want you to have some idea of, of what is called upon a deacon as his title implies. What is a deacon's task? And we see this particularly. Deacon, deacon is referred to much less in the New Testament. This is it. Okay, We don't have a tremendous amount of Scripture that uses the title deacon. Even in Acts chapter 6, 1-7, through 7, we, we have something that's not even called a deacon there, and I like to refer to it as kind of a deacon prototype. It's similar to what a deacon does. Maybe a deacon before they were called deacons. And, and, and we'll to look at that when we look at the qualification. Number two. But deacons are referred to most clearly in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, as is elder. And then, and then the second half of 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3, 8, 13, describes the office and the qualifications of the deacon. 
So again, we're asking the question, how do we identify this aspiration? One of the ways we can identify this aspiration is to consider what tasks are implied by the title of something. So let's do that same thing with deacon. What does that word mean? And what does that imply about the task to which one is called? Well, it's the word diakonos, and it simply means servant. It means servant, an attendant, one who executes the commands of another. This, this is from a Greek lexicon. One who, by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church, cares for the poor and has charge of and distributes the money collected for their use. All right, so this is, this is what we see when we look in the texts of the deacon in the New Testament. So what, what, the, what a Greek lexicon does to form a definition is it looks at all the usages in the New Testament of a particular word and puts together a definition, looks at all the verses that, in which that word is used, and puts together a definition based on how that word is used in all the verses. And that's what we see here. What do we see in the deacon prototype of Acts 6, 1-7? through 7? You remember the story, how the apostles were beginning to be overwhelmed with ministry requirements because they had to preach the word and pray. And so they also were trying to feed those who were in need and so on and meet the needs of the huge church that was in Jerusalem. And so what did they do? They appointed deacons. These men took the hands-on ministries of the church so the apostles could be praying and preaching. Those are the words used in the text. They needed to be praying and preaching. We will not neglect the ministry of the word and prayer. Earlier it talked about preaching in that same paragraph. They were to be men of good reputation or good repute, as the text read, filled with the Spirit and wisdom, appointed to a duty, and the church and the apostles then prayed for them, and the apostles laid hands on them. So what is unique to the role of deacon is hands-on service ministry. Hands-on service ministry. All right, what's, what's the point of where we're going here again? I think it's good to note that the meaning of the title, in a sense, equals the role that must be performed, the task. So you think, do I aspire to that? Well, do you aspire to be one who oversees the life of the body of Christ? who shares the wisdom of God's Word with God's people? Do you desire to seek people when they run away? Do you desire to guard people when they're threatened by something spiritual? To love them and care for them and feed them God's Word and share your life with them and earn their trust to protect people from spiritual harm? Think about what these titles mean. Say, is that what I desire? Think about that in terms of one who is being recommended for such an office. Do you see those desires in them? Are they willing to lead? Are they willing to go out in front? Are they willing to exercise Christ's authority to teach, 
to have influence. And we'll look at some more details of, of, of these roles as well. But that's really the question that one should ask. It's not, well, I sure would like to be up in front. I would like to simply influence people. I'd like to have recognition. I'd like to have a voice. That's not what this is about. Think carefully about what is behind each of the titles. That's what must be desired. And what that then is required is a work of Christ in the heart. Because that's not something that people, I think, naturally aspire to. And so the work of the Spirit sent from Christ is to move in the hearts of men who say, I actually long for that because I love Christ's people. And to purify the hearts of men who who come into it with a wrong motive and say, you know, I came into this thinking it was one thing, but I've soon discovered it's something else. And Christ, make my heart shepherd heart like yours. And to be a servant. Right? To be a servant. To serve the people of God. Both roles, bo- both roles serve. But this particular role is unique in that it serves the function of the needs of the body. Even physical needs of the body. It administrates the unfolding of week by week ministry. So that the needs of God's people are met. And so that those who are in the teaching role can be focused on the preaching of the word and prayer. The meaning of the title is the role that must be performed. That's how we identify the aspiration. Letter B, demonstrating this aspiration. How do you know? How do you know if someone actually has this aspiration? Well, you know what? The primary way to know that is not what they say. Right? It's not what somebody says. It's what they do. You know, somebody could say, boy, I want to be a deacon. I want to be an elder. But watch their life. Watch how they operate in the body of Christ. Do they voluntarily sacrifice themselves in the service of others regularly? You don't have to ask them to do it. They want to. It's buried deep in their heart. And so they willingly do it. They pursue it. They look for opportunities. They're not the one who has to be asked always to do something. They're asking can I do this? Can I do that? They're, they're voluntarily and willingly self-sacrificial in the service of the body of Christ. They are voluntarily willing to spiritually care for others. They are burdened by the struggles of the other sheep in the body. They, they out of their own will and volition and desire, pull people aside and say, can I pray with you over this? I see you're struggling here. Can I share this scripture with you? They long, they just, it's just who they are in their heart. They naturally pull people to themselves, become vulnerable to those people, and then share God's word with those people in need to help them to be encouraged in Christ. You just have to stand back and watch and you'll see it. It's not what they say. It's what they do. Both elder and deacon. So, that's the aspiration. The aspiration is identified in the, the title. The tasks that are implied by the title and then also in the demonstration of the aspiration through voluntarily one anothering in the fruit of the Spirit. Number two, let's talk about the qualification. And I know that this, this, this message is, is, a, is a really high view of all these things. There's so much detail that could go into this. 
But what are the qualifications then? What are the qualifications? Okay. The main, we have to first identify the qualifications. And we're not going to go through all these. We've been through them together in detail. You remember when we, when we taught through 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, and particularly chapter 3. So if you want a refresher on, on 1 Timothy chapter 3 and all of the the uh, qualifications, I would encourage you to look on our website, go back and, and, and pull up those sermons and listen to them. Because we go, we take each of the qualities one by one and walk through them in detail. So there's three things that play into the qualification for either an elder or deacon. There's three things, three categories. Character, doctrine, and skill. That's true for both elder and deacon. I'm going to interchange a word here. If you were, you were making three categories of qualifications, identifying these qualifications, both of them are given character qualifications. Both of them are given character qualifications. Both of them are given doctrinal qualifications. Okay, that's important. And I'll show you this in the text. But the elder, in particular, is given a skill qualification. That's different than the deacon. The elder is given a skill qualification, but the deacon is given a service qualification. And I'll show you this in the text. So it's character, doctrine, skill, slash service, if that's what's in my notes. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and Acts 6 are the key texts for this. So when we're talking about the qualifications of elders from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, now we're talking about... Um, Again, character, doctrine, skill, and service. And I'll show you some of these as well. The personal, the personal character, there's a whole list, right? Above reproach, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not a recent convert, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not greedy for gain, lover of good, upright, holy, disciplined. There's also family qualifications of the character. So I'm putting both of these under the character concept. The character concept. That's the husband of one wife, managing well his own household with diligence, keeping his children submissive, or with dignity, keeping his children submissive, faithful, children, children not charged with debauchery or insubordination. There's also the doctrinal qualification. Now, this I didn't bring out in the chart so much, but I want you to, would you please look with me back at Titus chapter 1. This is where the doctrinal qualification comes out most clearly. An elder has to have solid doctrine. Right? That, that seems kind of obvious, but he also has to have a great skill in wielding that doctrine, if you will. So I, I put the doctrine element attached to his skill here in this particular chart. So, notice verse 5 of Titus 1. And he commands Paul to, uh, Paul commands Titus to appoint elders in this church. And then he gives the character qualifications in 6, 7, and 8. 9 is Titus's version, if you will, of the doctrine and skill qualification. Look at it. Titus 1.9. He must, the elder, the overseer, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Wow, that's so clear. The gospel, it's trustworthy. 
It's the Word of God. And as Paul taught it, not in however he wants to teach it, as he taught it. So there's not just the content, but also the words that Paul used should be passed down. We saw Paul say that to Timothy too. Timothy as well, right? 2 Timothy chapter 1. The form of good words you keep, you guard, you pass them on. Don't, let's, don't let anything happen to the content. Don't change the words when you speak the gospel. So that how, how skilled must the elder be in doctrine and, and, and ability to communicate that doctrine so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So, so the elder can't just be someone who can kind of rehearse the gospel in their mind. They have to be one who can actually skillfully communicate it and teach the sound doctrine to others. And not just that, but what else? He has to be able to defend sound doctrine to those who are trying to destroy it. That's a different level, isn't it? There, there takes a greater amount of skill to be able to actually not just give instruction about sound doctrine, but defend it from complicated errors. And he has to do that for the whole body. So that's part of the skill. Able to teach, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, able to give instruction in sound doctrine, able to rebuke those who contradict it. And of course, all of that implies then his doctrine is accurate. Now it's interesting, 1 Timothy 3 says that he is able to teach. Remember that? 1 Timothy 3 and the qualification of an elder. Verse 2, the end of verse 2, he gives a list of qualifications and then it says he must be able to teach. Again, we're talking about the skill. I want you to notice something though here is that it says able to teach in both texts. 1 Timothy 3 says able to teach. Titus 1 says able to teach. It's two different words for able though. The word able in 1 Timothy 3 is the word for aptitude. He actually has, a, has to have a skill for teaching so that those who hear him aren't like, what? Like that, that's going to be counterproductive, right? In the body of Christ. If when the word is open, there's more fog than blue sky, right? We don't want that. That's not helpful. But again, all of this is by the work of the Spirit. But Titus 1 is something different. It's the word for, it's the word dunamis, for example. It's the word for power, strength, ability. So again, all this by the Spirit of God. He has a, a strength, a might in his ability to convince those who contradict, to give instruction in sound doctrine. There's also, and then this, this also connects with his character. So you have character, you have doctrine, you have skill qualifications when it comes to being an elder. He has to be respectable, well thought of by outsiders. So that's very important that in the process of observation, what do those in his life outside the church think of him? Does he have a good testimony there as well? So these are the qualifications in, in very high overview from, of elders from 1 Timothy to Titus. Think of it in terms of character, doctrine, and skill. Well, then what about the qualifications of deacons? And again, we draw these from Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3. 
Here's the text. He's got, he again, also has personal, family, and worldly qualifications of character. And he also has a service that's also associated with a doctrinal qualification. I'll show you that in just a moment. So personal, family, and worldly qualifications. Qualifications of his character, in other words. Full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, blameless. When it comes to his family, wives must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things, husband of one wife, managing their children and households well. His worldly character qualifications, it just says good repute. When it comes to his service and his doctrine, it says in 1 Timothy 3 that he must serve well, he must be tested first, and then serve as deacons blamelessly. He must have good standing in the body of Christ, confidence in the faith in Christ. Actually, I put the doctrinal qualification, I just noticed over here on the personal side of qualification, of, of character qualification. He must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So he has to know the gospel well enough that he can hold to it. The mystery of the faith and have a life that indicates true salvation. His conscience is clear. In other words, his life does not condemn him in his conscience. So doctrine and practice. So again, you have character qualifications, doctrinal qualifications, service qualifications. These are things that are woven throughout these texts. 1 Timothy 3, 8-13, and Acts 6. Now, qualification, identifying the qualifications. There they are. And you can, again, you can review those by listening to those sermons once again on the website if you'd like to. But we're also called to test these qualifications. We're called to test. So let's be testing the qualifications. How do we do that? Again, the elder qualifications are here for us to see. The deacon qualifications are there for us to see. How do we evaluate them? How do we evaluate them? Well, one of the things that we do is we simply walk through each of these qualifications as elder to potential elder. We walk through these together. We evaluate each one of these things. We, as elders, listen and he, and he teach. What is his character like? How, what is his doctrine? So much listening and watching, right? So much listening and watching. Years of listening and watching. See, this is so important to spend time in observation because the last thing that I want to do is to invite a man to be an elder and call the body to trust him and follow him when he will do harm to the body of Christ. Right? We, don't, we try not to do that by God's grace. So we have to watch. We have to listen. We have to test. See if this aspiration is truly a work of the Spirit of God. And so as we do that, we've, we've used, we've exactly, I just want to share with you what we've done as, as a, a group of, of men. We've, we've done a study together on the character of the elders. 
We've taken time to do that, prayed over those things, been convicted together, asked God to make us and to grow us into his image. We've spent time talking about these things, hours and hours, talking about the character of an elder. I want you to know that. We've also spent hours and hours together discussing doctrine. These are things that you guys, you all don't get to see. You see it on your prayer sheet, right? You know, there they are. <laughs> There's hours of meeting behind this. And prayer, years of meetings, right? Praying for one another, inviting you to pray for us. We've gone through all of the fundamental doctrines of the faith together over hours and in detail, discussing scriptures, questioning one another, evaluating one another. And we've given opportunity for preaching and teaching, right? And you've heard, you've heard these brothers teach and preach. You've been served by these brothers. And so there has been, I believe, sufficient evaluation accomplished based on these very qualifications, either deacon or elder. But I think there's another thing I want, to, I want you to, to recognize. So testing the qualifications, there's elder evaluation, there's deacon evaluation. There's a third thing I'd like you to write under that is body recognition. Body recognition. This is important, and this is something an elder that's already in place seeks to observe. How do the sheep respond to those who want to be shepherds? That's a big deal. Why do I, why do I say that? And I, again, I'm not going to go into details. There's too much to go into detail about. But 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of a very active life of the body of Christ where there's members interchanging with one another. That one cannot say to another, we don't need you. Or that one should not try to be a part that they are not. And how all of them work together and recognize one another so that there's a mutual building up of the body. And how the Spirit of God appoints and chooses all of that so that it builds itself up in love. 1 Corinthians 12. Too, too much to go into all the details of that. But recognize there is a mutuality in the body of Christ. So one of the ways that, that we as church leadership seek to identify those whom Christ has chosen is does the body recognize that elder or deacon as an elder or deacon before they are? Well, what does that mean? Is that someone who others are wanting to follow their example? You can see that happen. Do they follow the example of another? Is there a confidence of the body in their doctrine? When they speak doctrine, does the body listen to that and go like, well, that sounds strange. I don't trust that. Or do they, as the body as a whole, recognize what they teach and they say, oh, that's, that's helpful. That's true. I believe that too. That's the words of Christ. You see? The body will respond to the one in that position by saying, yes, I believe that too. Because guess where the Spirit of God is? He's in all of you who are in Christ. And so the truth recognizes the truth. And we, we, we grow in that together. There's another thing is, is that are they, is the body receptive and blessed by the skill or service of this individual? Again, we, we, we referred to this a little bit earlier. When, when, a, when a guy gets up to teach, does the body say, I don't think we should ask him again? Or do they say, oh, that was really great. That was helpful. That blessed me. That opened my eyes. That, I can receive that teaching. 
See, that's, that's important because the body has to recognize their own parts. That, that's what the Spirit of God does. And the service. You know, it's hard to be served by someone sometimes, isn't it? You got to humble yourself. You have to trust when you let someone else serve you. So when you see in the body that there's a brother or sister in Christ or whoever it is, that they are serving well and the body is flourishing under their service, ah, that's something special. That's something the Spirit of God is doing. So that's when you take a man and you say, well, wow, the body is recognizing that man as an elder or as a deacon. So there develops among the body and those men a spiritual trust. That's what I'm getting at. There's a spiritual trust. You can't have elders or deacons forced into the position and the body of Christ say, you guys all have to think of him this way. Oh, no, everybody's like, no, that's not working. When, it's, when the Spirit of God does it, the, the majority of the body will be like, yes, that has been a blessing. I have been helped. I'm willing to follow that person's example. I, I have a confidence in their doctrine, and I have a spiritual trust for them. So, number one, there is aspiration, and a legitimate aspiration based on the, the, the actual tasks. Number two, there's qualification. There's the evaluation behind the scenes. There's the testing. And then there's the body recognition. Number three, and finally, affirmation. And this, honestly, is the, the part of the study in the Scriptures that has the very least amount of information in the Scriptures. So it's a little bit challenging. By what process do we complete this and actually affirm an elder and deacon? Okay. So first, there's elder recommendation. Missing a page of notes. Ah, there it is. Elder recommendation. So here's where we go with this. First of all, Acts chapter 14. This is a text I'd like for you to see. Acts chapter 14. We're almost there. Thank you for your kind patience. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse 23. So Paul was a wonderfully gifted evangelist, apostle, church planter. And look at verse 19 of Acts 14. And you see this cycle over and over again throughout the, the, the book of Acts. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. There appears to be a pattern in Paul's ministry where he'll go to a certain area, go to the, the basic place of local religious discussion, preach the gospel there, disciples are gathered to him, he gathers those disciples away, and he spends time encouraging them and strengthening them, just as you saw in the text, 
Sometimes that was for years. And then, before he leaves and does that again, he appoints elders, plural. Notice the plural there? And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The pattern that begins here is that present church leadership recommends the next church leadership. We, that's the only way we see it in the Scriptures. And that's a difference than, than the way many churches do it. I want to invite your affirmation, your blessing, but it's, I believe, my biblical responsibility as the present elder to recommend to you who I believe, based on God's word, who should join me as another elder. It also, we also see this in, notice in 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5 comes at it a little differently. Paul here exhorts Timothy to be the one who appoints elders. He's already given him the qualification in 1 Timothy 3, but then look what he says in verse 22. He says, Don't be hasty in the laying on of the hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. He's talking about the process of affirming elders. That's something Timothy was to do. Also, in Titus, we already read this, but I'll just, I want you to see it in terms of this particular text or this particular point. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. I can only find throughout Scripture, as Paul teaches these men and by his own example, that it's elders who recommend other elders. So that's what I want to do. I want to be the one, just like, just like we see in the New Testament, I'm going to recommend other elders to you. And Lord willing, as, as the number of elders in our church increases, we will together recommend to you others so that God continue to multiply us and maybe wonderfully divide us so that other churches can be planted in the Upper Peninsula as well. But then there must be a body reciprocation. There has to be that, though. Because the body of Christ must be willing, if they believe that this is an elder, they, they, we have to sense a willingness. This is not really something that can be forced. Do we see a willingness? You know? so, so letter A under the affirmation process is, like I said, elder recommendation. Letter B, body reciprocation. I think of 1 Thessalonians 5.13. So, and I'm not going to have you turn to each one of these texts. I'm going to have you look them up later. We, we, we do have to bring this to a conclusion. 1 Thessalonians 5.13 invites the body of Christ to give respect and esteem to an elder. So that's how you know. I mean, is this, you have to think about this very carefully. I make a recommendation, and you have to prayerfully think in your own heart, is this someone that I can respect and esteem in that office? Is it? That's what you have to think about. Or 1 Timothy 5, 17 speaks of honoring an elder. Is this someone, when I recommend him, is this someone you can honor? I'll need to know that. Um, there, there is a, 
a call in 1 Timothy 5 to the body of Christ to follow a certain protocol in charging an elder when they're in sin. So this is very important that you help me. Is this someone that you need to charge with wrong before they become an elder officially? I will invite your participation in that. Because the very last verse in 1 Timothy 5 says, some sins will be conspicuous, but others are not. Some good works will be conspicuous, while others are not. So one man can't do it all. The body of Christ has to help the elders in the process of affirmation by following a procedure of something like Matthew 18 and 1 Timothy 5. If there is something that you know of in this elder who's recommended, that you say this disqualifies them, I'm going to invite each of you who know that of that thing to go to that elder, that recommended elder, and confront him about it. This is very important. This is a very serious and, and um, noble task that we're, we're calling this one to. And then Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. Hebrews 13, 7 and 17, the words there are to imitate this one, to imitate your leader, to even obey them as they give you biblical instruction. So you have to ask yourself, based on those texts, here's what body reciprocation looks like. One, can I respect and esteem them? 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Two, can I honor them? Is there anything that I haven't, that I know of that's legitimate, that is a sin that needs to be charged, that would disqualify them? Maybe the present elders don't know that. And then thirdly, is this someone I can imitate and obey based on Hebrews 13. If that comes, if the process continues and nothing halts it, then there is the elder appointment. So letter A, under number three, elder recommendation. Letter B, body reciprocation. Letter C, elder appointment. And this is 1 Timothy 4.14. 1 Timothy 5.22. And 2 Timothy 1.6. 1 Timothy 4.14, 1 Timothy 5.22, 2 Timothy 1.6. And all those texts refer to the same thing. They refer to the laying on of hands. Timothy had the laying on of hands by the group of elders. And this is the process. And that's what it says that Paul recommends this as, as well to Timothy. And it even speaks of this in terms of the deacons in a different chapter, I believe. So, oh yeah, Acts chapter 6. They laid hands on them there. And so this is the, this is the uh, appointment process. We, we bring the, the man or the men up and we, we pray over them, having affirmed them and observed them and tested them in this way. And we pray and ask God's blessing. We entrust this whole thing to, to the Christ who, who brought it about to begin with. And then we, we treat that man as an elder or a deacon. What about deacons? A little bit different. What you see in Acts 6, 1 through 7 is most instructive about the process of affirmation. The, the, the deacon process switches body recommendation with elder reciprocation. So it seems like in Acts 6 that the body recommended the elders. And, and Lord willing, we'll be able to do that more accurately in the days ahead. We're a little bit, 
We're a little bit mixed up with that one, but we'll learn. We'll learn together and we'll get it right, Lord willing, by God's grace. So body recommendation comes first in Acts 6, then elder reciprocation. The other says, yes, I agree. And the elder appointment is then made by the laying out of hands, Acts 6, 1 through 7. You'll see it there. All right, let's bring this to a conclusion. What are we going to do about this now? Well, I think it's a time for us to obey these texts. And appreciate you all being here today. And I told you that this was, uh, this was going to be a special Sunday and, and the first Sunday in December as well. I want to recommend to you a man as an elder, and I want to recommend to you a man as a deacon. The, el- the elder recommendation that is, is Jeremy Hensley. I want to commend him to you as a brother in Christ, a faithful minister of Christ, for your careful and prayerful consideration. The deacon recommendation is Tom Jensen. And the interesting thing about it is both of these men have been serving in and among you for years now. So it's not like you have to get to know them. But I want you to take it very, very seriously and very carefully. These brothers have been faithful for a long time. They have been well-tested, well-observed. They have served well. They have served humbly. They have served sacrificially. I don't have to tell you these things. You know them. They, They have the aspiration for these things. The qualifications we've discussed, as I said, hour upon hour, and the doctrine, and even in the practice of their particular skill or service. So I want you to pray for them over this next month in particular. Maybe you won't stop that for the rest of your lives. (laughs) Pray for them diligently. Encourage them. And here's, here's your assignment. Over the next month, if you know of a reason that would disqualify them in the spirit of 1 Timothy 5. And maybe what you need to do is is go back and read that text. Again, the sermon is online if you want to re-listen to it. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 25. And of course, you can read through the qualifications. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. If you know of something in their lives that would disqualify them, Jeremy for the office of elder, Tom for the office of deacon, I want you to go to them one-on-one, like Matthew 18 talks about, because anything that would disqualify them would be a Matthew 18 issue, except for the skill part. Right? So doctrinal error or character that is you know, a bad testimony with something. Go to them and talk with them. They will receive you well. They will receive you well. And pray with them, talk about it, and then they will come to me. They will come to me, and we will talk about that together. I want to give you, again, the time until December 3rd. That's the first Sunday in December. And if everyone continues to affirm them, on that day, December 3rd, we will lay hands on them and welcome them as an elder and a deacon to our local body. And uh, we will trust the Lord in this process. Certainly, that's, that's the most important thing, that we trust the Lord. So in the end, here's the point. By his grace, let us trust and obey our risen, ascended, reigning Christ in these matters. In these matters. And if you have any questions about this, feel free to call me, email me. I can help in this process. I know this is somewhat new. This affirmation process is new to us, but Lord willing, it won't be new for long, and God will be glorified in it all.
Would you stand with me? Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for what you have done in this local body. And our feeble attempts always fall short. But Father, you use weak and feeble messengers to accomplish your will and bring yourself glory. So we pray, Father, that you would be honored in this and that you would help us, each one of us, our local body, over the next month to prayerfully and carefully consider these men and that we would do what you have called us to do and that your will would be done. And I do pray that all of this would turn out so well for each one of us and for your glory, Father, and that these two men would be affirmed in the offices for which I believe you have appointed them and you have qualified them. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. And we know, Father, there are others in our body who desire these things and who are laboring and prayerfully working and seeking your will and the Spirit toward this same goal. Father, your will be done. You love this church. You love each one of us. Indeed, Christ has purchased us. And so we are trusting in him and learning to trust in him more and more. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.